So I think the coolest thing I heard this morning is that you lived right around the corner from here. I lived, I grew up literally two houses from this place. It's crazy, yeah. In this Such a small world. And man, I had some great memories out there. I remember one day I got like a little shell back from the beach. And in the middle of the night I woke up and it was walking around my desk. So I had no idea what to do with it. The shell it. was walking on your desk? The shell was walking, there was a crab inside. Yeah, okay. <laughs> of course, yeah. So had no idea what to do with it. So I ended up like opening the window, shit scared out of my mind and then flinging it out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Goa. This is a podcast about the people, places, and everyday stories of India's smallest state. As creators of Goa.me, Goa's largest online community, we set out to bring you interviews and candid conversations with interesting and inspiring individuals. So come along and get to know Goa beyond the holiday. In this episode, Luke sits down with Sumer Gwilani, a talented musician, avid football player, and former U17 World Cup competitor from Goa who in recent years has shifted professions to that of a freshwater shrimp farmer. Born in Goa, but spending much of his formative years in Mumbai, Sumer developed a strong passion for sound while working in a recording studio throughout his studies in economics. However, uninspired by the direction of Mumbai's music industry, he decided to move back to Goa where he could pursue a pace more in tune with the lifestyle he envisioned for himself. Yet it was the choice to join the family business in commercial fisheries that ultimately led Sumer to setting up a farm of his own on the island of Divar with the aims of reimagining the way we source and produce our food, a project which has since evolved into a full-blown exploration of alternative aquaculture in an attempt to revive many of the depleting staples in everyday Goan cuisine. So tell us a little bit about what brought you, I guess, back to Goa. So the draw was always there to come back. For me, this is home. This is home. Like the streets, I, I know them. And growing up on the beach, then going to Bombay and then not having access to all of that, being an outdoorsy person because that's what life was. It was just a no-brainer to come back. And luckily, I've been in the seafood sector for about five years before this. I was into exports of seafood, watching the stock decline every year. We used to get five tons of shrimp of squid per day and it used to, it dropped down to two tons and the next year less and less and less. So what was the next foray into how do we sustain our seafood? Yeah. Aquaculture was an interesting proposition at that point in time. So I spent four of those years just going, visiting other, other farms, reading about it, seeing what can be done. And eventually this farm came up and I just jumped at it. Yeah, man. That sounds pretty brilliant. I wanted to get into how did you end up exporting seafood first? Because you were doing something very different when you were Oh, born, yeah, right? yeah, man. Before this, I, so I've played football for the country on, on the under-17 level. Oh, wow. I did um, the FIFA World Cup, under club World Cup, which happened in South Africa before that. So that was super fun. And then I, I was an avid guitarist and I still am playing I've got an EP out there. I've been working at a sound studio called Nirvana in Bombay under some one of the best, best musicians in the country. His name's Ranjit Barrett, and I was really, really lucky to have that opportunity. Picked up a lot of my sound work from there. Picked up how to produce, what goes into making a track, what goes into making background scores for films and ad films. 
and just one day I saw the industry of like what's going on in Bollywood at that point in time like this one producer who had come in who literally said oh um, I'm here my face is here I'm not going to do the work I'm going to take a nap on your couch and just sit and get everything done right mm. and you're seeing that day and day out from someone who is in the limelight someone who is supposed to be a good musician then you're like you're doing schlag what is the point if you have to deal with this I'd rather get into music on my terms which is what I'm doing right now making my own music I finally after the farm has got a little bit of uh, a layoff because of the monsoons started writing a new EP working on that that should be out in another month or two yeah. and the day I decided I'm going to stop next day I joined my dad who was in the seafood industry I was lucky to have that platform and we were trading we were basically trading from India China and Vietnam to Spain to Portugal to US yeah. basically facilitating the trans- the yeah. seafood which was getting processed in India or China and Vietnam to the buyers out there who used to eventually sell it to their supermarkets or to restaurants and yeah that's that's how it happened and it was I was completely new to the whole space picked it up on the job and just as you read you learn more as you meet people you learn more and then the whole foray of aquaculture came into the picture oh that's brilliant yeah i actually looked at mussel farming before i did mm-hmm. shrimp farming but that's a project for the future now yeah i was going to ask you what's common between mussel farming and shrimp farming but actually a little bit more interesting than that uh, what's common between shrimp farming and making music what's co- oh both are an art yeah definitely both are an both art both are yeah. an art yeah. and uh, it comes down to the um, details in every li- in, in music as well whether you have a little transition going for take one section to the other you have a you have transitions in the shrimp because they're growing day in day out and you never know what problem you might face you might face that a crab has walked into the farm and then has spread diseases because crabs are carriers of a particular disease called white spot and that wipes out the entire farm within 2 or 3 days so it's basically just focusing on the details it's like if one thing is off you can hear it if one thing is off you can see it yeah so it's just as a just as dynamic it's very dynamic on yes scale. yes yeah. I, i remember clearly the incident when um i visited your farm thanks mm-hmm. to that and thanks for the hey not at all it was a pleasure having yeah. you there yeah i remember watching you deal with your staff that were having a little bit of a tiff between the two of them mm-hmm. i thought it did it in a very calm and nice way you know <sighs> It was very well handled. And well, without going into the details of what actually happened, but you did it really well. Well, you got to be calm because yeah. at the end of the day everyone's a person, right? Yeah. And if you don't put uh, put each other in other people's shoes, you're not going to really understand what they're going through. So if you if you've done something wrong, acknowledge you've done something wrong and just try to avoid behavior like that. And the thing is we're all working this together. So you don't want you want it's like a family which gets created. You don't really want to have people fighting about small things. Mm-hmm. But that happens in families. So yeah. That incident really stuck with me because um uh, when you think shrimp farm, when you think any kind of farm, when you think um uh, let's say uh, labor, mm-hmm. uh, you don't think of that as the the normal way of people dealing with each other. So that was quite beautiful to watch. Hey. Uh, and also the way the, um, the the staff approached you about it they were not scared of you in any way they were very transparent about no, it of course not yeah. we we talk yeah. about everything that goes on if there is a problem we have to solve it otherwise the work will get spoiled and yeah. uh, there will be problems which come up which will hamper everything but we're, we're focusing on trying to do something good yeah. so why break that for something small 
Yeah, it, it reminds me of um, my days in event management when you could tell the difference between the, uh, the good musicians and the bad musicians, not based on the music, but based on how they treated the, the local staff who mm -hmm. were handling sound, who were handling the local um, infrastructure, you know? That's a course. huge difference in the two. And I think the way you dealt with your staff the other day was just like a good musician to deal with their, <laughs> their teams in a good set. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> so green ventures, what, what you're running is, I guess, a green venture. So what I'm running is the next step in food production and I see it as not exactly a green venture yet because it is still a monoculture. It is focusing on one product. A lot of problems that come up with shrimp farms is that a lot of area gets cleared, mangrove area gets cleared and that destroys the local habitat outside. The other problems that come up are eutrophication of the river. Eutrophication, what's that? Uh, eutrophication is when you have excess nutrients going into the river and destabilizing the entire ecosystem outside. So shrimp farms generally create, as do fish farms, generally create excess nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, which basically allows various bacteria to grow which where they shouldn't be growing. And that eventually causes hypoxia. Hypoxia is where the water loses the oxygen in that area. So that entire ecosystem is destabilized because the oxygen levels are so low that other fish can't survive. The other thing that happens is you're discharging so much water day in, day out without treating it. If you have disease at the farm, you could spread it outside. Natural systems themselves do have a balance. The advantage of shrimp farms in terms of green ventures is that it takes a little bit of stress off the oceans in terms, because shrimp are deep sea trawled, right? Trawling is one of the most destructive practices we as humans do. It's basically scraping off the sea floor, catching whatever comes for two or three products, and throwing back whatever is left. Whatever is left could be dead by that point in time. And if you're destroying the habitat that they're in, they're not going to survive at all. So that's the whole reason behind moving to shrimp farms. It's basically one step off the ocean and get better at it. So I've identified a couple of spaces which can help shrimp farms improve in terms of being more green. One, it's a lot of land. If you're doing freshwater culture which, with this particular species of shrimp, which is Litopenis vaname, which is originally from the coast of Mexico all the way down to Peru, it is salinity tolerant. So you can grow it in freshwater at zero, which comes with its own problems, and growing, going up to 35 PPT, parts per thousand. If you're growing it in freshwater, you can use that same water to grow, to do aquaponics, which is basically growing your various leafy vegetables or various fruits or greens, whatever you'd like using that same water which is nutrient rich. Nutrients are a huge, huge resource. Phosphorus is not commonly found. And if you're generating it already, might as well use that water for, for the whole thing. And then what, what that allows you to do is recirculate that water back into the farm instead of having to take new water in. Yeah. So that saves the water cost, that saves, that utilizes all the nutrients, and you're reducing the stress on the natural ecosystem. Brilliant. I didn't know that about uh, shrimp that could live in, in zero salinity. Yeah, it's quite yeah. interesting. The only problem that you face out there is that nitrogen gets highly toxic to them at a, a level above 0 0.25. Okay. So you've got to manage that well. What, what are the normal levels that we have out here? Uh, in, the, in the natural system? Yeah. It's almost zero. A zero, 0 0.25 is okay. what the natural system is. Anything above that is built up in the shrimp farm due to feed and due to the excreta. 
Okay. So that's where the problem is, and that's where the magic is as well. So depending on which way you're looking at it. So, so would a would a nice not a nice but an, a well-designed structure for a shrimp farm or a network of farms look like? Um, some farms next door that could work with the affluence of from your. You can actually use yeah. the effluence within the farm itself. Okay. You can yeah. use the space to grow uh, freshwater species of plants or you can use it to grow seaweed, which is, in essence, a marine plant. And since a lot of our runoff, agriculture's runoff has gone off into the sea, it's very rich in B12, which a lot of vegetarians don't get. So you can grow seaweed on the farm using the nutrients that are generated by the shrimp they absorb the nutrients and then again that water can be recirculated. The same thing with mussels. They also require the NPK formula which is your nitrogen, potassium and phosphorus. Yeah. So there are so many methods that we can use to make this current system much more sustainable than it currently is. Okay. That's really interesting. This is all completely new to me. <laughs> Beyond the bits I work in. So in, in terms of making this more sustainable, mm -hmm. um, it sounds like a lot of work to take it to that point. Um, are there people you're collaborating with or this? Right now, I'm actually focusing on setting up an IMTA system, which basically is an integrated multitrophic aquaculture system, right? So in terms of making the shrimp farm a little more sustainable, yeah, I'm working with a couple of people. A really good friend of mine, Gabriela de Cruz, she's done her master's in conservational biology at Oxford, and she was uh, helping me out with setting up a seaweed system in the farm. So that was one really interesting venture. We actually managed to get it as far as sporulation, which is basically get it to regenerate itself using the effluent of the... Oh, wow. But not yep. to scale yet. It was in yep. a small little tank, which we were doing experiments on the side. I'd spoken to Nisha D'Souza, who'd also studied at Oxford. And she was talking about using the same farm, which we have, in terms of increasing the mangrove that are there. Okay. Because that also absorbs the nutrients and water circulated back and the mangroves build a beautiful ecosystem for the local fish outside or the local um, the crabs which have come to the small species which need shelter while they're growing so those were two projects which were interesting to look at i spoke to a friend of yours nagarjun about trying to see if we could basically automate the process and trying to see how we can reduce the amount of wastage that we created or make sure that manage the farm better in terms of automating the sensors so there are a couple of projects on the horizon. I won't say it's an easy job to get there, but I will say that we can do the work to get there. Well, I hope something works out with Nagarjun. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> yeah, they're wonderful guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. So what happened with the seaweed idea? So the, what's happening with the seaweed idea is right now we're trying to work out the kinks because the salinity does fluctuate a lot in the farm right now. So. Around the monsoons, it's almost at zero. Around Jan, Feb, it's around 12, which is really low for seaweed. So in essence, right now, what we're doing is we're getting maybe two or three months of actual cultivatable time for the seaweeds, which is not too bad if we can set up a tank system and then transplant them into the water. So we tried that and we've gotten to an, a certain stage where we say, okay, you know what? This is a possibility. We can actually grow it using the affluence that we have. Let's try and take it further. So we're now in the design phase of like how to take it, which areas to take it, whether we have to use a tank-based system in terms of pump the water out and take it back in, or if we have to take it or grow it in a separate pond itself. And that becomes a settlement pond where the effluents are used up and then that water is pumped out back or just recirculated through the canals. Got it, yeah. Did you ever study any of this formally? No, I haven't. You just figured it out? 
Yeah, there, there's a, such a great resource of papers online and people you can speak to and the conferences. You meet so many interesting people and all of them are just willing to talk because they love the space. Yeah. And just spending time speaking to people, visiting farms, reading up about what's out there, like how to grow shrimp. There's a plethora of information out there. How to grow seaweed, it's a nascent space, but there is information out there because South Korea and China and uh, Japan have been doing it for ages, albeit a different species, but the basic practices are there. And India also had a foray into it in um, Rameshwaram, although they're growing an invasive species which was brought in from Southeast Asia. Okay, yeah. Let's take it back to, um, uh, to music. Okay. okay. So, Goa and music, what, what do you think of this? What is, so Goa has like? uh, a very huge Saitran scene, but that's yeah. that's not something that I could ever re- I never really got into. Yeah. There are some really great artists that play off and on, very low key at small bars, it's on the beach, and I think that's where my thoughts go when I think of music in Goa. It's just sitting in a small cafe and then someone's playing the blues, who's maybe played the blues in New York 50 years ago. You've got stuff like that and you've got people coming here to sit down and make music. It's a beautiful space to get inspired and to make music. The other day I heard a really good artist, her name's Ditti, and she had done um, an Instagram live for the Mole campaign. Such beautiful songs, completely inspired by her experiences just around nature, in the walking in the forests of Goa, moving around the spaces, just taking it all in, whether it be the chirping of the sparrows or whether it be the flowing of the stream. It was just really lovely to hear. So I think Goa is very conducive to melding the two, like music and life experiences, which you wouldn't normally have in a city, which would feel kind of disconnected depending on what your life is in a city. Yeah. So it's a very artificial environment. And it is an artificial environment, and yeah. but... That doesn't mean that you can that it's bad music coming out of there. It's yeah, of it's it's probably great music, and it's just reflecting that life story, which is great in its own sense. Yeah. So yeah. synthetic music. Synthetic music yeah. or organic music from a synthetic environment. It yeah. just depends on how the person yeah. decides to. That's true. Yeah. Just taking it back to uh, Goa in the late nineties, early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music scene out here is very different back then to what we are exposed to right now. Yeah, was, absolutely. Yeah. You got a yeah. you got a ton of new artists coming in down right now. Back in the day, you had UB40, who used to be a house yeah. band, <laughs> which was like, wow. And I've heard one of them still hangs out in Kandali, if I'm yeah, not yeah, mistaken. It's in in Anjuna. Uh, it's in Anjuna. Yeah. Okay. What's it called? Uh, can't remember right now, but yeah, I know the place. <laughs> so. That, unfortunately, I haven't. I didn't have the chance to actually experience the music scene in Goa at that point in time because I was based in Bombay for that, for a large, well, not a well, a large part of my life, and the music scene out here was always just come back, see someone sitting on the beach playing guitar, and just join them and jam out. But um, you're probably inspiring other people in the music scene right now in Goa. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, music hasn't come out yet, but let's see, let's see. Um, which, which takes me to who got you into music? Oh, it was just a decision. I was driving. I'd come back from one of my school trips. Every year we used to go to some place in India, whether it be Mount Abu or Agra for Depur Sikri or to Delhi or to Kurg or to Panchkini. And we just had a great time. Me and a friend of mine, his name's Farouk, and he's working as a sound engineer in LA right now. So we spoke about, you know, just let's just 
play guitar and I remember driving back we'd just come back from the train station in Bandra and we were driving towards town and I just remember telling my dad dad I'm learning the guitar and within a couple of weeks I started playing the guitar and then we started our first band we were the first band that played at our school and that didn't work out unfortunately but after that I was always playing off and on played in the college bands and joined up with the sound studio and it was wow. great yeah yeah that's wonderful and, and I can tell from the tattoo on your arm as well music is a big part of your life yeah. it is it's, yeah. it's the music and the waves yeah. both the water and the sound which yeah. basically is the two things I've worked with what you in Goa yeah mm-hmm. and there's a third thing in Goa which is football oh yeah. yeah oh my god tell us about your time playing for the youth world cup oh that was spectacular we used to wake up at 5am every day for three months before the whole thing happened we had selection we had a whole selection process and 5am till 12pm we were running about 7 kilometers then doing 100 crunches 100 push-ups 100 squats you name it we had to do that then we had to go for drills which was your technical shooting your passing whatnot, and then you play a game Wow. And after which you're like, dude, I'm too dead to work or study or anything. How old, how old were you then? I was 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 So just made the cutoff. <laughs> Are you in touch with any of the people you met uh, through that experience? Off and on, off and on. We, I met some really interesting people. One of, the, one of my friends are playing in um, the ISL right now. And unfortunately... It's off right now, if I'm not mistaken. They're starting it up again. They're starting it up, yeah, up again? Yeah, in fact, uh, yeah. my friend uh, Peter, my old school friend, okay. is part of the ISL now, um, helping get it set up. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. that's actually a very good thing that's happened to football in the country. It's, it's, it's really formalized it. It's allowed people to say, you know what, there is a future in football. And there are a lot of kids, there's some great talent coming in. Well, 1.3 billion people, once we get the right grassroots infrastructures in, there is nothing, we can be a World Cup winning team. True. Very and soon. And Goa could actually be producing a good chunk Goa of Goa is producing yeah. a, a good chunk of that talent. In fact, I, I think the Indian team captain right now, Brandon Fernandez, is that I'm his name? Not sure. I don't follow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure if he's captain, but he's captain of Goa, FC Goa. Okay. And he's yeah. one of the mainstays in um, the Indian team. Yeah. Yeah. There was a bunch of people from uh, Montegiri as well where I studied everyone football. St. Anthony's School, okay. Montegiri, yeah. Produced a lot of footballers that went into the Indian team. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah, did you did. did you end up playing with any of them? Um, uh, well, I, I did play with them. I never made it into the school team. Uh, right. I played basketball instead and that was um, uh, sort of my favorite sport. But okay. um, I think um, the, the beauty about football is that uh, you just need a small patch of ground and a ball and that's what you can play. Yeah, of Whereas course. Basketball, cricket, you everything else. You need, yeah, you need a whole <laughs> bunch of other things, yeah. Football is a very democratic game in that way. Absolutely. You can play on the streets, you can play in some stadium, you can play wherever you want. You can play on the beach. In fact, that's one of the most fun. Yeah. And and coming back to the whole experience in South Africa, it was, we were in a team hotel, there was teams like Inter Milan, Corinthians, Baca Juniors, from all around the world. And these guys are, they're tough. They're there from the start. We got hammered pretty bad, but man, it was a great experience. And just being in the whole environment, you're driving through South Africa in the buses like the players you used to do and get to your hotel. Team hotel, team rules apply. You cannot leave. You're, you're there. And next day you wake up, you go for the game, have a great time. I was playing left back at the time and um, the game against Inter Milan, I didn't get much game time, but man, just coming on was fun. Yeah. It was just an experience. It was just like, dude, some some guy someday one of these kids are going to be playing for Milan and weirdly I was playing FIFA manager mode a really long time ago <laughs> and I saw one of these kids 
this picture on there. I was like, dude, wow. I've played against that kid. It That's was quite cool. Yeah, it was quite cool. That is, yeah. And I think those those experiences early on in life shape you quite well, right? They Absolutely. That up. discipline which came in with the constant regime. Yeah. That has stuck. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of discipline to run a shrimp farm. There's, there's a lot of variables that can... As well. Yeah. But the shrimp yeah. farm is a little more dynamic in, in that sense because you can get a call at 4 o'clock in the morning saying, hey, there's a 3-meter crocodile in your farm. Come, we need to get it out. Oh. So you're this standing there. actually happened. This has happened. We've wow. had three crocodiles okay. on the farm. Wow. And um, we, it's, it's just like, it's so crazy that you have... This three meter croc, you're draining an entire pond for it. And then you've got 16 people out there who are scared out of their mind. But we're all standing there and waiting for it to happen. And eventually it was all of us who caught it. And the forest department was super kind. And they came whatever time it was. And they were there, helped us. And then eventually took it and rehabilitated it. That's a lot harder than running an IT company, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, you're yeah. dealing with about, we have about... 3 million shrimp at one point in time. So it's 3 million babies that you got to take care of. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, 3 million shrimp. We think in terms of users. Uh, the shrimp are your users of your farm at least at that point in time. I wouldn't call them users. I'll call yeah. them, well, family for a little yeah. while. <laughs> yeah. At your address, yeah. Yeah. It's a very big family. Yeah. yeah. You've got to feed them four times a day. You've got yeah. to make sure the living conditions are good. You've got to make sure that they're not falling sick. You've got to make sure that Everything is basically in order so that they can be comfortable because as soon as they go into stress, they start turning red and you can tell. Either the antennas get cut off, the legs start turning red, or they stop growing as fast. And every 15 days with the new moon on the full moon, they have a molting period, which basically means they change their shells. And at that point in time, if, ever, if something is off, you can lose a certain amount of shrimp basically just because they're stressed out. Sounds a lot like running a, a tech company in some ways. <laughs> you want to keep your engineers and your designers happy and calm. Of course, of yeah. course. <laughs> yeah. All, except for the molting period part. Although some hey, of them every, do change their shells. Yeah, yeah. yeah some <laughs> yeah. of them do change their shells. Yeah. That's it. yeah. So from shrimp uh, molting every 15 days, mm -hmm. um, and you changed, not careers, but you, you've definitely changed industries at least three times, mm -hmm. uh, maybe doing the same underlying things. Uh, what's coming up next? Well, I'm, I definitely want to be in this space. Food production is very important. And if we're going to hit 9 billion people by 2050, although we produce enough food for the world, not all of it reaches most of the people. So the next foray is into a little bit sustainable and a little bit into food production, which is basically the IMTA system, which is an integrated multi-trophic aquaculture system. That system uses a marine permaculture thought process, in essence, basically using what is generated similar to what we spoke about, about how to green the shrimp farm, but in the open ocean. I want to get into mariculture of sea bass, along with mussels and seaweed. So the mussels and seaweed grow on their rafts in perfect tandem. They use the same amount of nutrients, so they're competing with each other and basically taking all the excess nutrients that are created by the sea bass. The whole idea of this is to create that self-sustaining system without changing the environment around in the oceans too much. At best, you're going to have a couple of boys and a little cage which hold the thing in place. That is the next idea. In fact, I came across this concept by this guy called Brent Smith. He's done a beautiful TED talk on ocean 3D farming where he was a fisherman on the boat and the, sto the cod stocks were declining, declining, declining. So no future on the boat. Then he started his own oyster farm 
again, got hit by a couple of storms, lost a couple of crops, the whole thing. Kept going and eventually devised a method where they could actually harbor it to the seafloor. You're growing seaweed and mussels and oysters and scallops all together in the same system. And nothing has happened. It's stormproof. It cleans out the environment. Mussels and oysters are filter feeders, so they clean out the water completely. In fact, that's how you get the pearls. The pearls are the residue, the the residue yeah. which is generated after cleaning out the water. So mussels and oysters in Goa as well is a very interesting proposition. It's a staple of, the shinanyos are a staple of uh, Goan cuisine, but yeah. unfortunately over the years it's been over-harvested and there's not much spat, which is your baby mussels, in our waters anymore. Donapola is one region which has it outside the Hyatt Hotel, but again, it's not enough to produce. Because you go to the beach and on the menu you have fried shinanios, right? But you ask them for it and none of them can give it to you. So this is one way to bring back that culture or bring back the populace to Goa. We used to have the Perina viridis, which is the green mussels, and we have the Perina indicus, which are, which are the brown mussels. And if you go to the some of the beaches, in fact, up north, like Keri, you can find them washed up on the shore. You get uh, shells which are about the size of your finger. And wow. the fact that you can see those on the beach is a very good sign because it means they are out in the ocean and there is a certain viable population, but not in the numbers that they used to be. Like in old Goa, you used to find a ton of mussels in, in, um, by the estuary. But... You speak to anyone now and it's all gone. So the next venture would be to try and bring back that population, focus on sea bass, focus on seaweed. Seaweed is a very, very, very interesting product because it's so versatile. You got, um, you can make bioplastics out of it. You can make um, biofuel out of it. It works as a source of food for people, especially for malnourished because it contains so many, so many nutrients that you require. It contains your B12, which is very, very important for mental health and for your chemical balance in your body. And it's currently present in almost every gel-based substance used in the form of agar-agar. It's a new oil? No, agar-agar has been around for ages, which is why they... uh, I mean... um Seaweed is a new a oil. Seaweed is yeah. a new oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it produces many you things. You think so? And, yeah. and it's it's great for carbon sequestration as well. So anything that we've generated through oil will get sucked up by the oceans. And if we consume it and don't let it rot, it's all back into the system. If we had the water on Mars, would seaweed grow well there? It depends. It depends on <laughs> if we actually manage to terraform Mars to look like yeah. Earth. <laughs> yeah. it, it sounds like a, like a super fuel. It is. It, it, it really is. It's, it serves so many purposes and that's why it's a very interesting proposition and, it, and the market is really building up for the whole space. Yeah. In, in some ways, um, shrimp farms are terraforming, right? It's, um, shrimp farms are terraforming in some yeah. ways because you're, you're changing something that used to be land into basically ponds for growing marine species. So you, you need to give them a two meter depth. So two meters down or one meter down and one meter up, depending on however they're building it. Luckily, I was uh, fortunate enough that the farm that I took over has been a shrimp farm for 20 years. It was run by a company called CME and they had set up the basic infrastructure skeleton. But over those 20 years, a lot of it had filled up because of the shrimp waste. And if they didn't manage the crop well, you have to have a whole month of a prep period. Whereas in you till the soil, you remove all the nitrogen, the black soil that gets created. You make sure that your buns are okay, the dividers between the ponds. You have to basically create the home again. 
and especially over the last two years we've had to do it because the island is a low-lying island Tivar. it's below sea level you've got the buns which have managed to keep it dry for the longest time and over the last two years we've seen consecutive floods where i'm standing on the farm last year we in fact got completely washed out we had 70% of our shrimp which went into the river because what was flat ground for us river level throughout the year was filled with a meter of water above and i'm standing there waiting not knowing if i'm going to fall into the pond or where i'm stepping and the shrimp are touching my leg and watching all the work that i had done for the past 8 months wash out at that point in time that's tough man so it was it was a tough time but we bounced back and we did a very good crop in spite of the virus which is going on hey people got to eat what can we do to um uh, to to defend against these floods other than of course slow down global warming but in terms of immediate tactical steps to be honest mangroves around the boundaries are one of the best natural systems what we can use to basically protect ourselves against it because they act as breakwaters let's say that's the that's the one thing that should be done okay fair enough you can reinforce your walls year in year out you can build all of that but eventually it breaks down this is a, a natural ecosystem will last because it's built for that it is evolved to serve that purpose so looking back in uh, towards nature would be the best option in this time in fact there are a lot of fields which are looking back in nature you got biomimicry which is basically learning from various species to inculcate their design into our life you got biodesign you've got well so many various fields yeah yeah so in our last few uh, minutes um what advice do you have for others who are moving to goa or who are in goa who want to do this stuff in the same space as you are or you tell them that you wish you had known 5 or 10 years ago i wish i had known um to be honest it's been a great journey i would say just be ready for some for countless amounts of sleepless nights and you're taking care of something that's growing so it's like what do you tell a parent when going into parenthood you have no idea because each thing is so 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 different and every year is going to be different yeah every year is going to be different and every it depends on the field if you're working with shrimp it has its own thing if you're working with fish it has its own thing if you're working with mussels it has its own thing so we're coming down to goa i would say focus on being more green do your environmental assessments make sure you preserve this beautiful space because a lot of the draw for a lot of people coming down from outside is the fact that we have these green spaces the fact that we can actually go to the beach and go windsurfing if we want with the fact that we can just spend a day in nature so if you're coming down here to set up something make sure you're preserving the spaces that you are if not bettering it yeah that makes sense another thing that we could actually talk about is how if you're coming down there are so many systems available for your home fruit food production if you have a little balcony you can set up a kitchen garden where most of your greens which you would normally buy like your spinach or your basil yeah. which you need to consume fresh are just growing outdoors you can set it up on a balcony or you can set it set up a little hydroponic system indoors so a lot of people coming down should focus on trying to get their own food systems in order because you've got these massive farms which are being cleared forest land which is being cleared for farms around the country try to take a little bit of stress off it and with the tech available today like like hydroponics and aquaponics you you have access to grow pretty much whatever you want wherever you want and uh, yeah. that's why a lot of the world is moving towards urban farming and vertical farming yeah we got to thank gabriel for setting up a little um uh, kitchen garden in our, at our house <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure she was super just, excited to do that 
and I hope you guys get some good uh, fruit out of it. Yeah, I was sitting out in the garden meditating yesterday morning, and I saw it. It has grown quite big now. Yeah. 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 When's your first harvest? I'm not actually sure. I need to check in with her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Awesome. That was that was great, man. Yeah, this was this was great. Thanks for yeah. having me. Look, Tasha, man. Probably also should add the place we are talking about, where we are, where you're two houses away from is uh, <laughs> is grayscale and thank you very much to sam for setting this whole recording studio up for us that's it for today's episode we hope you enjoyed the conversation as mentioned, Sumer's farm, GI Aqua, is currently shut for the monsoons. However, they plan to resume operations come December, after which we highly suggest you to get in touch and place your orders. Or even pay a visit to the farm yourself and see what Sumer and his team are up to after the rains. We also want to encourage you to check out Sumer's latest EP on SoundCloud, Light Play, for which we'll share a link in the show notes along with everything else we discussed in this episode. Plus, to learn more about Goa's growing alternative seaweed culture, don't miss our past interview with Gabriela de Cruz in episode 5 of the Goa podcast. To learn more about what we do beyond the podcast, make sure to check out our website, goa.me, and follow us on Instagram, at the rate Goa. Subscribe to Goa wherever you get your podcasts, with new episodes released every month. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.